Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show, broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island where it is broadcast continuously for 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. I'm also the founder and director of the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which travels the country supporting local animal welfare groups after a New York City premiere every October alongside my annual New York Cat Film Festival brought to you by Dr. Elsie's. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show was also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their cats. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, no hide, and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaran or Maisie will eat. I was so pleased when Bob Bryant reached out. He's the co-founder, co-founder of Mission Canine Rescue. And while I've often had people on the show talking about how military working dogs are bred or chosen or bought in Eastern Europe, how they're trained at Lackland Air Force Base, I've never had someone devoted to what happens when they retire, what happens to these valiant dogs, what kind of life do they have ahead of them. And Bob Bryant co-founded an organization which is saving, has already saved more than 1,200 military working dogs and contract working dogs, a a term I wasn't even familiar with. And more importantly, in my view, and probably in yours, reunited over 600 of them with their former military handlers. Bob, it's really a pleasure and an honor to, to welcome you to the show and to thank you very profoundly for making sure that these dogs are not simply discarded the way greyhounds at the racetrack are, the way racehorses are at the racetrack. These dogs were lifesavers and massive amounts of money were poured into their breeding and handling and training. And I thought they all went back to their military handler or a military handler at some point, but you obviously found a big gap in the system, didn't you? 
Yeah, yes, yes, we did, and I can explain that to you a bit. Let me let me correct something that I heard earlier. Uh, currently, all military dogs are bred in the United States through the Lackland Joint Task Force Military Working Dog Program. There are no more uh, oh, European import. Good. Yeah, there are no more import, import canines coming from Europe now. Police departments all over the country are certainly, uh, you know, still purchasing canines from Czechoslovakia, Germany. Uh, Slovakia, the, uh, those areas, but all right. the military dogs are born and bred in the USA. Well, that's that's uh, that's answer- new, as as you would agree. That's very new, and I'm glad because it was a fortune of of taxpayer money, of military money being spent on dogs that their background wasn't even well known. But anyway, that's solved. We're now breeding them here. Good. But what are we doing with right. them after they've retired, either from PTSD? or physical ailments, or simply their age, or how many deployments they get? I mean, first of all, what are the parameters for retiring a military working dog? Okay, let's talk about the dogs themselves for just a second. They can have up to five handlers during their career. Wow. And normal and normally, a dog is retired exactly in the manners that you have uh, referred to. That's either, you know, they lose their work drive or they have an injury or they develop some kind of, uh, or they develop a, a medical condition. Uh, unfortunately, they don't normally age them out. Uh, we pulled a, the oldest military working dog we've ever had. I don't think there are any older working a 13 year old. That's terrible. That was down, Poor guy. that was down in, in Southern California. I mean, he had crazy drive, but you know, unfortunately he lived less than six months into retirement after he was rescued. Uh, the military itself determines which of the dog's handlers is allowed to adopt the dog. There's, there's not necessarily a set pecking order, although I find out that normally the handler that has the last tour with the dog does adopt the dog in, in most cases. Now, if that handler was given the opportunity to adopt, and he has small children, then right. and it's a bike-trained bite dog, and obviously yeah. the toy, the drive and the toy craze turns into an issue, and you know, little kids can get bit. So many times they'll pass that to the second or the third handler, and then if they want to visit, you know, there's a camaraderie there. They can do nice. that. But uh, you're, but you're there then, for the dogs who, are, who don't, for whom that connection is not automatically or no, seamlessly actually, made. No, we're there for both. Oh, uh, really? We have reu- well, yes. When we uh, we have military members that reach out to us anytime they hear that their dogs are being uh, uh, retired from duty, and they help us arrange transportation. Now, many think the military just automatically sends the dog home when they are retired overseas, but that's just not the case. Up until the past few months, we're talking just a few months, uh, the military has not done that. And, you know, we brought dogs home for uh, their former handlers from every corner of the world. We're talking Guam, Korea, Japan, wow. uh, North, A- North Africa, Europe, uh, all the hot countries over there. Um, and just recently, we've seen, some, and even though this became, it became law as part of the National Defense Authorization Act in 2016, an, an amendment that was passed on it, 
that dogs retired overseas had to be returned to U.S. soil. Well, how they got around that was they call foreign operating bases U.S. soil, where the dogs are. So, you know, push came to shove. Uh, we started up a lot of uh, heat in Washington through a couple of congressional members we know. They, in turn, passed it along. And now we're starting to see some cooperation from the military. Recently, uh, they brought three dogs uh, back from Japan to Seattle. Uh, but still, we had to pick those dogs up there. And then we took them all over the country to where their handlers were. Um, in, in reality, there are only a few military dogs, military working dogs, that are not picked up by handlers. And those dogs are normally offered for adoption through the Lackland uh, Joint Task Force's military working dog program. Now, we do collect a few along the way from different sources, both from, the, you know, kennel masters will call us and say, hey, we've got a dog that may be a risk, you know, we're going to have to euthanize, you know, can you take them? And, you know, we, we, we have a tough decision to make because we're not a sanctuary. We're Correct. not a, a lifetime time care facility. And unfortunately, we can't house all the biters, all the you crazy ones. That's right. And it's, uh, and it's the most gut-wrenching decision to have to tell somebody no. Uh, we've just about had to stop in taking police canines because of that very reason. We have a number of dogs that it, only the strongest of handlers is going to be able to adopt them, and even then the dogs may be a risk to the public. So it's a tough call. Well, it's an interesting point, Bob, because I've often said on the show that it is a little like having a loaded weapon, maybe with the safety on, maybe not, to have a highly trained let's say Belgian Malinois, one of the really high drive, super intense breeds who seem to be the most in vogue, at least in some police departments and in the military, much more so than the old German shepherds, the breeding of which has... Yeah, they're really, not breeding shepherds. They yeah, can't breed them. I mean, they've ruined anymore. the back it's end. Solid. The dog can't even move normally. And they were too big and their coat was too heavy in hot places. And also the drive, I think of the Turverin and the, the Belgian Malinois, it's evident when you meet one of those dogs, uh, sometimes at the big pet conventions I go to, for reasons which escape me, there are people, and this year in Vegas at SuperZoo, there were half a dozen people who had Belgian Malinois with them as if they were pets. Other people had miniature poodles. Why? I don't. You didn't really need to have a dog there. It was a pet industry convention. But those I dogs... Had, I hope they had a... Did they have a muzzled... My sir, they not only didn't have the muzzle, those dogs were in such a state of high stress, looking for a target, looking for a job. One of them had a prong collar, a really deeply digging in tight prong collar and an electric shock collar, walking the dog with both. And the dog was in a quiet frenzy. The dog was like, what do I need to do? What about that person? What about that person? I mean, these dogs are brilliant at the job that they're born and bred to do and then trained to do, yeah, of course they should have been good, muzzled. And this is yeah, one of the things that I think, show. yes, <laughs> crazy. And this was a pet industry show, not even a dog show, oh, you oh, know, oh, know, not I a know dog show. That would well. be even more ridiculous. This was worse. This was people, you know, going and buying, you know, retail, retail people buying things at booths. 
and many other dogs running around. Uh, it made no sense. The so dogs we take the, the dogs we take to shows like that are chilled Labrador retrievers that are couch potatoes. Yes, they're probably bomb detection dogs, not attack dogs, yep. not or as you call yeah, them, bite never, dogs. I'd, I would never take a bike trained canine anywhere around the public. I have Thank one, you. and I and I have to have my head on the swivel every moment he's with me, just to make sure that in his desire to keep me from yes. being harmed, he, he doesn't nail the nearest person. Well, bless you for saying the truth about that, and it just proves that your organization, which is doing an amazing job that no one else has stood up to do, Mission Canine Rescue, MK9, that you're very honest and real about what is the future for a dog who is turned into an offensive weapon, if you will. I mean, that's a little strong language, but that's what they're there for, and they keep the no, military people strong. safe. It's accurate. It's accurate, right? It's accurate. So, it's um, very accurate. I've I've never been in the service. I've never been on the line like that. But the people who have the good luck and fortune to be chosen as a canine handler in the military. They understand the value of that dog, keeping them and their whole crew often alive and, you know, for very, in various ways. I think it's really important that people don't even think of a Belgian Malinois as a pet breed, because while there may be individuals who are somewhat laid back, in the end, the way you describe what you have to be is what those dogs are, head on a swivel, looking for action, looking for a job, looking to get the job done. Now, how did you adopt one of these dogs who you said would otherwise might have been unadoptable? Oh, yes. Well, Canine Navy uh, from the uh, Quebec, Canada city of Longueuil, uh, he was presented to us uh, about three years ago now. And uh, they reached out to us and they said, look, this is canine navy he's a big bicolor german shepherd some people swear he's got mal in him but i've got his pedigree and it says no malinois but who knows you can right. look and right. see for your see, see see for yourself but in canada those dogs are euthanized if they're bike trained and wow. they don't have another hand, handler to go to which he didn't so i said sure we had a malinois at that time who was 13 who was going to pass and we thought you know you get over a great dog with another great dog so we take the, we took the took a flight to vermont uh they met us um by coming over the border the next day i'll be darned i met i met navy i i'm fairly strong willed and have a way with more aggressive dogs so i was able to handle him no problem but i I knew that nobody we would normally adopt to was capable of handling this level of drive. Now, Navy's a big sweetheart marshmallow of a dog when he knows you. Yes. He'll come and lay on you. He'll beg you for this and that. But for the first 30 minutes he knows you, he only wants to eat you. It's really, it's really extraordinary to hear you tell that because it's so important that people take seriously who these dogs are and how who they are naturally has been brought out in them and expanded upon. It's, it's very important it, that people not be cavalier about it. I mean, it's terrible that they have to be put to sleep in the cases where they do have to be, but it's really a favor to them and to society to not ask them to fit in, to not ask them to fit into a world that is not their world. I will say for the record that most bites that canines uh, unfortunately get into, 
are the humans' fault that's got their hand on the leash. Uh, humans are some of the stupidest people <laughs> when it comes to, when, when it comes to handling an animal that they really don't truly understand yes. what's capable of. That's why when somebody writes to us, my mama lives alone. And I want a guard dog yes, for her. Yes, yes. De- deny, no, deny. Absolutely. Should, uh, that dog because, would eat mama or pull her over or trample her to get to the perceived threat. Can I be candid with you? Please. I'm not, wor- I'm not worried about mama. I'm worried about the dog getting euthanized for having a bite on another human. Right. That's what I'm worried. That's right. what I'm more worried about. Right. And that's why we're really selective when we have a dog that is potentially a weapon that we need to know a lot about the people that will adopt it. But it, but anyway, I digress. You now know that uh, I'm going to shoot you straight on, you know, what dogs are great, what dogs you better be careful of. And I'll just say that you need to have super respect and knowledge before you even think about saying, I want a dog that's trained to bite because it's a recipe for disaster waiting to happen. I will say that for people who have been in the military, their families have been in the military, that the sense of patriotism and gratitude to working military dogs is high. And I would like to encourage anybody to go to Mission Canine Rescue's website, make a donation or volunteer or whatever it is that Bob and his other volunteer people need because you don't have to adopt one of these dogs in order to support the idea that the ones who can fit into non-combat society deserve a good life and the right life. And I I think what you're doing, Bob, is wonderful and also helping to weed out the dogs for whom life in civilian clothes, if you will, would not be comfortable would not make them happy. It's like the dogs I saw at the pet industry convention. Those dogs were miserable. They were so uptight. They were so stressed. They had no idea why they were, you know, handling a crowd in a sense when that isn't what they were trained to do. They were trained to look for the guy with the bomb under his shirt or whatever the training may have been. I just want to say I think what you're doing is unique, wonderful, and deserves as much support as anyone can give who is grateful for what military dogs, their part for many wars what and many peacetime situations, what they've done for us as Americans and just as people. So I really appreciate your tip of the hat to these dogs, but also reuniting You're welcome. We their lo- handlers. We love what we do. We love what we do. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, it's fun to us. It's fulfilling. And I feel that it does serve a need. Plus, we really are no profit. 90% or more of a dollar goes to the dogs. We, uh, unlike some organizations that take your $20 donation and instead of it going to help the dog they think it helps, nonprofits will take your $20 and they'll give it to a marketing company rolling the dice that when they email seniors that have been dead for five years. Well, yes, that's, that's, money, that's that, definitely true that, that there's, there's that lots of, of them, you know, there, we'll, there's we'll lots of bad players out there. Bob, we've it run really, out of, really t- is, we've so, completely oh, run out of, okay. we've run out of time and we all know to be very careful, go to charity navigator. That's how you find out if a nonprofit is really doing a good job and mission canine rescue is Bob. Thank you so much for being here and for the great work you're doing. All right. You take care. Thank you so much.
I hope you enjoyed the show. There's a few more special companies that make the show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. I want to thank Wonderside, founded by a woman entrepreneur who discovered an effective natural way of using plant-powered products to repel fleas, ticks, and other parasites on our pets instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes it possible to protect your pets, children, and property without the chemicals that could be harmful to all of us. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and answer only to their own high standards. Finally, we're supported by Magic Fabric Pet Throws, developed by a husband-wife team whose expertise in the textile industry solved the problem of their big hairy dog, Molly, who got on the couch in bed with them, despite her wet fur, muddy paws, and shedding. Sound familiar? They created machine-washable Magic Fabric Pet Throws to trap pet hair, dirt, and moisture letting you enjoy dog and cat cuddle time without sacrificing your clothes, furniture, or decor. You can buy direct from the creators at magicfabric.com.